1: Sage advice from Baker Mayfield by way of Dwight Schrute, PFTPM. The NFL has done something an idiot would do for the third time this year, actually put on a football game against this program. What's wrong with you, Roger Goodell? Don't you want people watching your content? You can't try to encroach on the 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern time window on Peacock. It's PFTPM. Good afternoon, Shereen. How are you?
2: I'm good. I know my friend Jan is watching and I assume some of the PFTPM posse is watching live, but hopefully if you're not watching live, you're watching us after the game or during the game. If it gets out of hand, we're here.
1: Two screen experience. Just turn down your TV and turn up PFTPM, and maybe we'll provide a little supplemental play-by-play as I peek out from time to time at what's happening in Pittsburgh, but they haven't kicked off yet and they haven't. Uh, and may not for a few more minutes. So get some of the information here before you abandon this, if that's what you plan to do. The Jets abandoning Greg Williams wisely. Look, I discovered a superpower today, and I've tried to use it for other things. It didn't work. It did work on the Jets. I posted this morning, the Jets should fire Greg Williams, defensive coordinator, immediately, and they did. Abracadabra only has one bullet, though, unfortunately. I've tried. (laughs) It's not my day. It was just for that fine sliver of time, and I don't want to make light of the guy getting fired. But you know what, Shereen, this is a big boy league. He deserved it for what he did yesterday. Without question, he deserved to be gone today.
2: I'm just questioning if it was immediate. Was that immediate? A few hours later. It wasn't. It was within. It was within 90 minutes. It was within 90 minutes. Okay. All right. And so they had works. to make the decision. Right, that's the
1: they, had, they had to. They had to see what I posted. And and they all read PFT. I mean, this is one area where I am being serious. If we had the saturation level among the fan base that we had among the teams and the coaches and the agents and the players and everyone else connected to the game, I could retire, frankly. And then we wouldn't have the saturation unless whoever takes over for me is able to get that saturation. But they all read it. And I suspect that that, the decision may have already been made, but I'm sure they, they saw it there in New York. And we were just reflecting the sense that was out there. People were saying, this guy has to go. What are you doing? You don't call an all-out blitz with the game on the line. Anybody that's ever played any football, watched any football, played any Madden, knows that in that situation, 13 seconds left, the offense has no timeouts. They're on your 46-yard line. You defend the end zone. You defend the goal line. You don't send eight guys to prove some stupid point and take one last shot at the quarterback and let an undrafted rookie corner cover a first round receiver who ran a 4 I gave Lamar Jackson the cornerback, not the quarterback, a hard time yesterday for biting on the double move. Look, he had to bite on the double move because he had no one behind him. If they hit Henry Ruggs with a quick pass, he's gone potentially because there's no one back there to tackle him. So Lamar Jackson was left on an island and it's definitely not Lamar Island like it was Revis Island, and that was that for the Jets, and that's that for Greg Williams, and he got what he deserved. And the other thing, too, is I think it shattered the confidence in Greg Williams internally to the point where if they want to win a game the rest of the way, Shereen, they had to move on from it.
2: Yeah, no question, Mike. And and they should have made the decision right after the game. I mean, this is one you don't need to think about. I know Sims called it dumb and dumber. I will call it dumbest because it is absolutely, in my almost 30 years of covering in this league, the dumbest play call I have ever seen. And I was trying to think of some that were dumber. And the only one that came to mind right away was the Barry Switzer one on fourth down. Uh, and the Eagles called a timeout after stopping the Cowboys on the Emmitt Smith run. And he runs the exact same play again after the timeout. And they're stopped again. And that was dumb and dumber at the time. But this was dumbest, Mike. I've never seen a dumber. You have the game won. Like, I, I that's the only way you lose a game. There's one way you lose the game. And it made me question... Did Greg Williams won out, but if he wanted out, you know what? He's not only out of the Jets, he never gets another coaching opportunity after that play call. I guarantee you. And it's about time, frankly, for what he's done in the NFL, which is next to nothing, and how he keeps getting coaching jobs, I don't know, but he does continue to keep co- get coaching jobs even after what happened in New Orleans in his career frankly should have been over after that.
1: I never thought he'd be back after that primarily and fundamentally because he committed what I thought was the unforgivable sin of dropping the dime on one of his players. He submitted a written affidavit saying that Jonathan Vilma did indeed offer $10,000 to anyone that knocked Brett Favre out of the 2009 NFC Championship game. Once word of that emerged, I thought they would never accept him in a locker room again. And then I thought this guy must be one of the great defensive tacticians of all time to keep getting hired and hired and hired and hired. Well, he's not, and he's gone, and it's done, and it's over. And maybe it was deliberate to sabotage Adam Gase. Maybe he did want out. Maybe he wanted to go out in a blaze of glory. Maybe it was just his ego taking over, whatever it was. Shereen, the most close comparison I came up with is this is a defensive version of the Miracle in the Meadowlands with Joe Pisarczyk and Larry Zonka with the fumbled handoff, and Herm Edwards scoops it up and scores. Not that, you know, that revolutionized offense in that situation and introduced the victory formation, which everyone uses now, taking a knee instead of handing off as you're trying to bleed the clock, and you know that the other side can't stop the clock, and you can just get out of there with two or three kneel downs. Everybody already knew you cover and defend the end zone. So it's not like this is going to revolutionize anything. This is like... The miracle in the Meadowlands happening now. This is the equivalent of the attempted handoff instead of victory formation. That's what this is.
2: It, it, no question, Mike. And that that's probably the best example of, of a dumb play call that ended up costing a team a game. And we all remember that one. But you're right. This isn't going to change anything. Play, teams know how to defend when there are seconds left in a game and the other team has no timeouts and they're at midfield and they're in need of a touchdown. I mean... It, It's simple. It's it's, it's not that hard to do unless you get beat on a Hail Mary, something like the Bills got beat on uh, with DeAndre Hopkins making just a great play. But at least they had it defended. They got beat on that, but they had it defended. You know how to defend the Raiders in this situation, and you fail to do it. But, Mike... Also, Adam Gase, I think, is getting off too easy on this. You know, I think he bears some responsibility. He is the head coach. He can overrule the defensive coordinator, the play caller, if it's him or whoever it is. He can, he can overrule that. He ultimately is in charge of this team. And he said he wishes now that he had called timeout or overruled in that situation. He didn't. But he does bear blame for, for letting that play play out as it did.
1: This is one of the problems of a coach who is an expert in one side of the ball delegating half of the game, at least as it relates to the play from scrimmage, not special teams, but half of the game gets completely and totally not, not delegated, but abdicated to another coach. We see Mike Zimmer do it in Minnesota with his offensive guy. We see offensive coaches do it with their defensive coordinator. When you have structured this as you're basically the head coach of the defense, the the pieces aren't there. The foundation isn't there to intervene when something stupid like this is about to happen. It's trying to stretch one of those brand new big rubber bands that has never been stretched before. You've never done it. It's not what you do. So in that moment, all of a sudden you're like, wait, holy crap. The guy that I've given the keys to the car to is about to drive the car off the cliff. What do I do? (laughs) Well, what, what yeah. can you do? If you've never stopped him before from driving it into a tree or driving it off the road or driving it anywhere, it's an awkward spot. You haven't created a system where you've got that ability to say, time out, what the hell are you thinking? And, uh, you know, I think in that moment and you're in the crucible and everything's happening fast and you figure, what the hell? Let's go see. Let's see what happens. Uh, maybe we'll get lucky here. I just think it's a lot in real time, in the moment to harness. and and it And it's a product of, Creating a situation where you delegate and abdicate so much responsibility of the team to one person. And if we've learned one thing about Greg Williams over the years, he's the last person you want to abdicate responsibility for half of your team, too. So that's why it blew up in Adam Gase's face. Let's hear from Adam Gase earlier today talking about the decision to politely ask Greg Williams to get the hell out of here.
3: Did you agree with his decision last night on, on the, the blitz call at the end of the game and how much factored into it? that call factored into your decision. So oh, I obviously wasn't happy about that call. Um, and, you know, that that was a heartbreaking way for our guys to, to lose the game. So for, for that to happen in that, that situation, it's just,
1: not have that up that was such a long pause Bill Belichick said man that's a long pause from Adam Gase but look <laughs> it's it's all it's all crumbling and if he wants to escape the fate that befell Rod Marinelli in 2008 Hugh Jackson in 2017 you got to get Williams out of there you've got to because Williams name doesn't go on the 0 and 16 trophy Gase's name does and here's the best example of that Shereen. I had to go back and refresh my memory on whether or not Greg Williams was the defensive coordinator of the yeah. 2017 Browns I thought there's no way there's no way I'd remember that right no you think winless head coach winless head coach not coordinators not anybody but head coach and Greg Williams and and I think at some level the argument for keeping him is you're staying here with me You're going down. I'm going down with the ship, and you're going down with the ship, too. You're not getting out of it this easy, Greg. You're going to have two 0-16s. They may not remember one. They're going to remember two.
2: And I think they remember Greg Williams now, Mike. He has sealed his fate with that for sure. I found an interesting stat. ESPN had this stat, and I thought it was very interesting. There have been 252 plays in a similar situation as they, as the Jets had on Sunday over the last 15 years, and this was the only time that a defensive coordinator six, sent six or more pass rushers. I just thought it was a fantastic uh, stat, and it just shows you how bad that play call was, That the fact that no other defensive coordinator has done that in the history of the game. And this is a guy... Mike, when you look at his 22 years career as a defensive coordinator, a head coach overseeing the defense, only four times have they finished in the top 10 and uh, top five in yards allowed. Only three times in points allowed. It's not like he's a great defensive coordinator. So stop giving him jobs. He can't get the job done. Go find somebody else to coach your defense. And the Jets now have done that. But it's going to be way too late for Adam Gase and this staff. They will be gone at season's end. The good thing for Jets fans, though, Mike, they retained the number one overall draft pick and they're going to have a new coaching staff and maybe some new hope after this year.
1: Fans of the Jets were happy with the outcome. And that's where we are now in the NFL. The league would like us not to acknowledge the disconnect between finishing as low as possible in the standings and starting as high as possible in the draft order. But I've been saying this for years, and it's hiding in plain sight. Once you know it's over, once you know it's done, it doesn't matter how many games you lose. Who's going to remember if you were 3-13 and 13 or 2-14? and 14, Who's going to care? And 0-16 and has lost its its stigma. And by the way, next year, 0-17 becomes the new bar. So maybe somebody will go 0-17 oh, at some point. 0-16 oh, <laughs> won't matter this year for the Jets. But I... I, I uh, I, I get it, I understand it, and I support it. The Jets haven't had a franchise quarterback since Joe Namath. They've had flashes here and there. They had that one decent year with Brett Favre. Chad Pennington, from time to time, was okay. They thought it was going to be Sam Darnold. They're willing to throw him overboard, at least the fans are, because they want the guy that's going to be the guy week in and week out, year in and year out, and they don't have it. So I get it. Um, and and I, I know we got to move on. I was very intrigued by Boomer Esiason's whatever that was today, speculation, clickbait, rumor mongering, whatever. He works with Bill Cower every Sunday, and he threw out there this idea that Bill Cower is talking like he hasn't talked in 14 years about coaching. And that Bill Cowher loves Joe Douglas, the GM of the Jets. Remember, 12 years ago, the presence of Mike Tannenbaum as GM was the impediment to Bill Cowher taking the Jets' job. Because Bill Cowher always has his group of guys he wants to bring, and he didn't want Tannenbaum. Woody Johnson says, I'm keeping Tannenbaum, and it fell apart. If Cowher likes Joe Douglas, not an issue. And, and so, th- th- this is one year short of the Dick Vermeil hiatus, if it would happen. Vermeil was out 15 years. The idea of Cower coming back after he's completely exited the list—he never comes up as a candidate—that that's stunning to me. If something comes of it, and I think it's it's worth paying attention to because it came from somebody who works with Bill Cower every week during football season, Shereen.
2: Yeah, no question, Mike. I think you have to listen to that, and it and it does have some credence to it because of who it came from. You know, it, it reminds me, though, uh, of the Joe Gibbs simply because Bill Cowers in the Hall of Fame. Joe Gibbs was the Hall, in the Hall of Fame when he came back. There was a 12-year 12 12 absence, and he couldn't duplicate what he did the first time around. He stayed in it four years. He did get the team to the playoffs for two years, but it wasn't quite the success that he was used to. I just think it's really hard— When you've been out that long to get back in the game and try to catch up on on the game that sort of has passed you by, and I don't care that you've stayed on the TV side of it, the game itself and being in there and game planning and all that and the analytics are involved, that part of it is just so different than what it was back when Bill Cowher coached and and left after the 2006 season, won the Super Bowl, of course, in the 2005 season. But it's just been a long, long time And so I I don't like this if this is what they do, but you know what? It's their team. They can choose to make those decisions. They'll get a franchise quarterback who they hope is better than Mark Sanchez, better than Sam Darnold, and better than all the other quarterbacks that they've been through and tried to find since Joe Namath.
1: Two wrinkles to all of this, and then I know we have to move on. And I'm sorry, but I'm very fascinated by this. First of all, the... The belief that I've had all along, when Cowher left after the 2006 season, remember, he resigned. He didn't retire. He resigned as coach of the Steelers. I think he knew the Steelers were never going to pay him market value. He was getting several million less per year than Mike Holmgren, who at the time was the Seahawks coach, whom Cowher had beaten in the Super Bowl a year earlier. I think Cowher's plan initially was take a few years off, come back and work for Washington or someone else that was going to pay him top-of-the-market money because the Steelers never will. Now, he decided he, he he liked TV, and he settled into that life, and he's got every right to do that. But I agree with you. After 14 years, it's going to be hard to start the engine again. It's not like he's going into facilities every week like John Gruden did. That part's not going to be easy. And one last wrinkle to this. I remember when his name would come up back in 08, whenever else it would bubble up. There are people in the Steelers organization that will say, hey, if he comes back, we get compensation. Like, the Cardinals did from the Buccaneers because there's a year left minimum on Bill Cowher's contract in Pittsburgh. So he's still technically, if he wants a coach under contract to the Steelers, not the Steelers would fire Mike Tomlin for him, but I'm intrigued by where that could go. If he does come back, there could be a late round draft pick in it for the Pittsburgh Steelers by the time it's all said and done. All right. The Philadelphia Eagles. It's a mess right now and it's getting messier. Jalen Hurts came in for Carson Wentz yesterday. Today, Doug Peterson, Addressing speculation that he actually wants to leave at the end of the season, here's Coach Peterson.
4: It's it's laughable, uh, quite honestly. Are we where we want to be? No, not at all. We all have to coach better. I have to coach better. We got to play better. We understand that. We've got to, you know, we've got to figure out a way in the, in this last month of the season to, to to win a football game, right? And it's we got another great opportunity, a great opponent coming in here, you know, this weekend. And and uh, I love everything about. This organization, uh, my job, um, fans—it's it's a great place. And I'd say it's it's a great place to work when when things are when things are going well. We know we're in a a bit of a slump. It's it's not easy. It's it's not a it's not an easy place to work sometimes, you know, because it's 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 the, it's the pressure of performing right as, as athletes, as coaches. When things kind of go awry, as they have. You know, this is when we say, "Okay, we look internally and we say, okay, how, how how can we fix? How can I fix Doug Peterson first? How can I be a better leader? How can I be a a better motivator? How can I be a better coach to the to the players and and still still get the most out of these guys?
1: Yeah, look, I don't expect him to say anything else, but there are questions about disconnects as it relates to the coaching staff, Shereen in the front office. Are they really on the same page? It's amazing how far this team has fallen three years after winning a Super Bowl. You'll wonder what Jeff Lurie, the owner of the team, is going to do after the season, regardless of whether or not Doug Peterson wants to be there. It all comes down to whether or not the owner wants him there, and it hasn't gone well. And they have a decision to make about this weekend with the Saints coming to town. Is it going to be Jalen Hurts? Is it going to be Carson Wentz? There were reports that Wentz's confidence was was hurt dramatically by the decision to draft Jalen Hurts. Well, his confidence isn't going to be any better after getting benched for Jalen Hurts. So it really is a mess, and I don't know how they dig out of it at this point.
2: I don't either, Mike. This is a team that's won one Super Bowl in its 87-year history. And since that Super Bowl win, they're under .500. They're 21-22-1. They are under 500. they are 21 22 and one they have not been good, and they've gotten worse. And it is a mess. And... I don't know whether the Jets the Texans or the Eagles is the bigger mess. I probably would tend to go with the Jets and the Texans probably before the Eagles simply because they have won a Super Bowl since those other two teams have the Texans never have the Jets in Super Bowl three so um, I would probably go with the other two first, but the, it, it is a mess and you look at how they've drafted and the players they have and there's just not a lot of players on that roster frankly. Mike, that I'm building my team around and you do have a quarterback problem. You don't know what's going to happen beyond this season at the quarterback position and with Wentz. And as you've written many times, the Eagles are stuck with him for next year. It doesn't mean he has to start, but it does mean that he's probably going to be on their roster next season.
1: Yep. And uh, that that only leaves so much money available for an alternative. And you got Jalen Hurts under contract at a relatively low amount for the next three years, and maybe they just have an open competition next year between Hurts and Wentz to see who the starter is. And I don't think it makes sense to bring in a new coach when the options at quarterback pretty much are decided, unless you're going to go off the board for some low-priced veteran who could come in and change things. I don't know if that makes it any better either. They're trying to make it better. For the Chargers, multiple reports indicate that Anthony Lynn's fate won't be determined until after the season. A risky endeavor when so many teams already are looking for coaches, unless the Chargers know exactly who they're going to go after and exactly who they're going to get, or they have the confidence that they've got one of the most attractive openings, and they do with the presence of Justin Herbert. I'm assuming that any coach that goes there will be happy to have Justin Herbert as his quarterback. We've seen some Trojan horse approaches in the past, like when Josh McDaniels became the coach of the Broncos and his first order of business was to run off Jay Cutler. I doubt that McDaniels led with that concept when he interviewed for the job. But Herbert has shown that he's one of the best things the team has going. And at this point, based on the way they lost yesterday... I can't imagine a coaching change not coming for the Chargers. They're trying to win hearts, minds, and wallets in Los Angeles. You don't do it with a coach that that can't win close games. Got blown off the field yesterday with multiple special teams gaffes where you don't have enough guys on the field or too many guys on the field. I mean, that part should be very mechanical and simple. Everyone should know whether or not they're on the punt team or the kickoff team or this team or that team. There shouldn't be any ambiguity going into a game. So it's not good. I like Anthony Lynn. I I, I I feel bad that it's happening this way, but it's two straight years of of underachievement. And with promise in the form of Justin Herbert, I think that's a recipe for disaster for the coach who isn't getting it done because that's the perfect time to lure a top coach to come take over your team.
2: Mike, everybody likes Mike Lynn, and I, I think that's important to know. You know, it talks about, Chargers ownership and, and front office loves him. We all love him. Everybody, Anybody who's ever met Anthony Lynn loves Anthony Lynn. But it doesn't change the fact that two weeks ago it was a clock management issue, which has been an ongoing problem from Anthony Lynn. And then this past week it was the special teams problems, as you mentioned, multiple problems on special teams. And his press conference is going on right now, and he just said he's thinking about taking over special teams. Well, it's really too late for that I think the decision has been I don't know if the decision has been made, but I think it's been made probably for the organization about what they do after the season, Uh, because you're right. They haven't won enough games with Justin Herbert with with how he's played and they should have won more. And when you look at some of the things that have happened and the ways they have lost, they should have more wins than what they have. And since they were 12 and four in 2018, they're eight and 20. They just haven't gotten it done In his four seasons, 29 and 31 overall, and that includes that 12 and four seasons. So he's had enough time to get this done, couldn't get it done with Phillip Rivers, and now is not getting it done with Justin Herbert. And Mike, you hate a young quarterback. To keep giving him, and we saw it with Baker Mayfield, keep giving him head coaches and offensive coordinators and quarterback coaches and changing the system, that's not good for a young quarterback. But I don't know that you have a choice except to move on from Anthony Glenn and this staff after this season.
1: And here's something to keep in mind, and I'm not suggesting it's going to happen. But when you look at the last 20 years in the NFL, John Gruden. Essentially traded by the Raiders to the Buccaneers, although it's not a classic trade. The coach has a very direct say in whether or not he's going to leave one team to coach another. Herm Edwards, when he went from the Jets to the Chiefs, Dick Vermeule kind of, he had retired from the Rams and then went to the Chiefs. Uh, Jim Harbaugh almost traded from the 49ers to the Browns several years ago. It's amazing to me that more teams don't explore the possibility of approaching a team who has a coach under contract, reaching a deal on what the compensation would be, and then talking to the coach about coming to take over. But the Chargers are in position. If they want, I, it's just, it seems to me, and I don't know if there's a gentleman's agreement or what, Shereen, but I feel like not enough teams take seriously enough the possibility of targeting a coach who's currently with another team. And having a quarterback like Justin Herbert around, in theory, should allow you to be able to at least try that if that's what you want to do.
2: Well, and we just talked about Doug Peterson, right? And how many times can you hire a Super Bowl-winning coach and – that he would be the perfect guy, even if the Eagles decide not to get rid of him or he decides not to leave at the end of the season. That's a guy you could go get who I think would be perfect for Justin Herbert. I, I This guy can coach. I mean, we've seen it. We saw the Philly special. We saw all those plays he called. He won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. This guy's really good. So I agree with you. that That's per, perhaps a way to go for a team, especially one that has a young quarterback that can benefit from a guy who's done it, who's won it, who's had quarterbacks that he's made better, he hasn't done it with Carson Wentz for whatever reason. But maybe that's more on Wentz than it is on Peterson.
1: How about this sales pitch? Hey, Sean McVay, you wouldn't even have to move. There you go. Uh, let's take a break. When we return, some uh, some of the uh, some of the highlights of the conversations I had after uh, Sunday's games. We'll be back with more PFTPM. In New Orleans Saints capturing a playoff berth for the fourth straight season. There they are. They haven't clinched the division yet, but it's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time before Taysom Hill becomes a full-time starting quarterback in the NFL. He's 3-0. I spoke to him after yesterday's win over the Falcons. Also spoke to Kevin Stefanski after the Browns had their signature win of the season. Here's some of the best of those two conversations, starting with Taysom Hill. So after a, a fairly eventful two weeks... Falcons for your first start, Falcons again. What was the biggest difference this time? Um, Well, I don't know that there
3: was, you know, uh, personnel, everything was the same. I would say for me, like, I had a lot of emotions going into the first start against these guys. Um, Not not necessarily nerves, but then I, I, I was feeling so much gratitude for having the opportunity, you know, as we talked last time we the played these guys, I took a lot of time to, to reflect on kind of my journey and what got me here um, and then to have the opportunity. And I would say now, like, now it's just you're going out and you're playing ball and you're doing everything you can to keep keep winning football game. So, um, you know, that mindset was, was entirely different.
0: Did
1: you notice them defend you differently? Did they try to take away the run and that opened up the pass?
3: Well, you know, I, I, they did they did defend us differently. Um, we got a lot more shells than than what we were expecting. I would say early in the football game, a lot of two man on third down, um, which which we weren't anticipating. Um, and then that that kind of transitioned in the second half where we got a lot more single hide, um, a, a little more pressure uh, from those guys. But um, they they definitely played us a little bit different than what we we're expecting and, and how they played us. Last time for sure.
1: How do you think you've improved the most since your first start?
3: Um, I would say that, that my timing with the receivers has, has probably gotten uh, better, and where I would say that I've seen the most improvement as I think about this game. You know, it's hard to give you, uh, you know, probably the best answer, most accurate answer without looking at the tape. But I felt like timing-wise with everybody um, was, was really good, and I was, I was really happy with our, our timing and our rhythm.
1: How much have you been specifically working on that, either at practice or after practice, to work on those connections and that timing with the receivers? A, a lot, man. That, that's
3: really where I put a lot of my time and a lot of my energy, um, whether it's, it's, it's watching film. you know, If we're not on the field, we're in conversation. I'll also tell you I do a ton of... Visualization stuff at night. And um, so I go through every play that that we've installed, and I visualize how I'm going to, to to play that play. You know what my footwork is going to be on that play. What happens if we get to Ohio? What happens if we get shell? So I spend a lot of
1: time, a lot of time doing that. How antsy is Drew to get back on the field? <laughs>
3: Oh, uh, you know, you know, Drew's just competitive as guys I've ever been around. Um, he, he's he's dying, you know. I, I think you know Drew and I are, are such good friends, and he's been such a great mentor that I honestly don't know that there's anyone happier for me to have this opportunity. Um, but with that being said, I know I know he is just dying.
1: Get out there. I know Sean Payton's got some of that Bill Parcells in him, where he'll he'll try different things to motivate you. What's what's his reaction been to how you've performed the past few weeks? Uh, you know, honestly,
3: I haven't had a I haven't had a conversation like that uh, about it. Uh, and you know, Sean Sean, as you mentioned, he does a lot of things. We we all have a Bill Parcells quote in our locker room talking about complacency, too. And, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we all ended up with a big uh, basket of cheese in our lockers. I don't know if you've heard his cheese story, but he, he's all about just don't, don't eat the cheese. Don't, don't get into the hype. Just keep your head down. Keep, keep working. Keep stuck in um, And so, you know, he, he really, that's been his mindset of, I really haven't spent a lot of time talking to Nathan specifically
1: about my performance specifically. So wait, he put a basket of cheese in everyone's locker?
3: Everyone's locker,
1: yeah. What kind of cheese was it? Everything you can imagine. <laughs> you know how it's gone this year. You guys win all the games you're supposed to win, and then a good team comes along, and there's a, there's a ceiling there. What happened today to bust through that ceiling?
3: Yeah, I just see growth. From our our team, I see guys getting better. I see us as coaches understanding our guys, uh, putting them in position to succeed. So you know what it is. It's December football. So you got to be playing your best, but you also got to keep improving. I think there's things that our guys uh, – I think our guys understand that. I think they're working really, really hard during the week to make sure that we continue to get, get better, get stronger. Uh, get smarter as we go
1: everything about this is new for you as a head coach how have you changed the most or what have you learned the most since week one
3: i think i knew it back then but it's so true even now you have to lean on the people around you and that's where i feel so confident because i have i have people around me uh that i believe in and i'm talking this fast uh, Andrew Berry, Paul D Podesta. I think really some people that that we share this vision together, and, and it gives me confidence to be able to do my job because I know I have a lot of help uh,
1: around me. How much has the offense changed without Odell Beckham? That seems like that seems like it was forever ago that that he exited for the season.
3: Yeah, uh, you know, Odell's an incredible player, so we miss him. Uh, that, that, that's definitely the truth. Um, I don't know if the offense has changed the wholesale without him in there, uh, but, but he was able to make put acrobatic plays on the ball that not many people in this game can make. So, uh, But having said that, I think specifically that wide receiver room, you have a bunch of guys that, that are working their butts off, uh, and when their number gets called, they make a play. And I, and I think that's a testament to them as players uh, working hard and I think the testament
1: to Chad O'Shea who does a, a great job as a coach Last one for you, last week Jarvis told me that the guys talk about playoffs all the time, definitely talk about it all the time. Is that something you want them to do? Does it make you nervous that they're doing it? Uh, g- give me your thoughts on the fact that the, that the guys are spending so much time talking about getting to the postseason Yeah, I mean if they're
3: talking about
2: it they're not
1: talking about it around day so <laughs> I mean I don't hear that, I can promise you Uh Our opponent each week gets
0: my full attention. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble.
1: Oh, the Chicago Bears started off 5-1 and one and have lost six in a row now, 5-7, and seven, and the ship is sinking quickly. It's time for a little PFTPM, MPM QB, second-guessing some of the decisions made by coaches on the Sunday that was. And the play-calling of the Chicago Bears' offense, <laughs> under two minutes, up three, mm. inside their own ten, third and four, They were actually on their own 17. The fumble happened inside the 10, though. Mitchell Trubisky goes back. He has no awareness, gets hit, ball comes out, Detroit recovers, Detroit scores, Detroit wins. They were down 10. They erased that deficit, just like Chicago erased a double-digit deficit against Detroit earlier this year at Ford Field. Here's Matt Nagy yesterday when he was asked about the decision to throw the ball while trying to get out of there with a victory.
5: You know, a third and four and we have to, you know, we're backed up where we don't really have the field position. So um, we have to get a first down. We have to make them use their timeouts. And, uh, you know, we, we ran a play that's a good versus all coverages. You know, it, it's if they show man grade, it has answers versus zero. And then if they play zone, we got answers there as well. So we felt good with, with that. Um, and it's just a play, at least what I saw from the jumbotron afterwards is kid made a good play around the edge and was able to swipe his arm out and make a play. I'd have to go back and see, you know, as far as the pushing up in the pocket and, 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 you know, other guys within the route and where that was, but we, we had to stay aggressive there and, and get first downs to make them use their timeouts and try to end the end with the football and win the game.
1: Is there anything you say on the headset before that play goes off?
5: No, no. I think uh, the biggest thing is just let, he. It, that's a that play for us is a, uh, you know, it's day one training camp, and it's something that, that all those guys know inside out.
1: Yeah, look, it's just a bad situation in Chicago, regardless of who the quarterback is, Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky. It is crumbling. Two years ago, Matt Nagy was the coach of the year. A lot of coach of the years in recent years end up not being the coaches for much longer after that. It just shows you how quickly things can fall apart. And they've fallen apart for the Bears. I don't know how they get out of this vortex of suck at this point, but that's where they are. And you just wonder if and when big changes are going to be made there and if it's going to be the GM, if it's going to be the head coach, if it's going to be the team president, who it's going to be. But, you know, Bears fans have been through a lot over the years. They haven't had a true franchise quarterback since Sid Luckman. And this just isn't sustainable in Chicago, Shereen.
2: Yeah, it's horrible, Mike. I, I'm curious, who do you blame more for for that play? Do you blame the play caller or do you blame Mitchell Trubisky more? I mean, they're both at fault. We we agree on that, but but who do you blame more for that play?
1: Well, I think the play caller, because as the play caller, you have to know the limitations of your players. Number one, you don't have the offensive line to buy the guy the time that he needs. Number two, you don't have the quarterback who has the awareness to get rid of the football quickly before he gets hit and the ball comes out. So you've got to have a different strategy as the play caller. You have to have the awareness of what your team can and can't do, especially since it's been so long since a win. You've got to take the easiest path to killing the clock and getting out of there, and even if it means punting, that's better than getting cute. You don't have Patrick Mahomes. You don't have the Kansas City Chiefs offense where you could maybe drop back and deliver the dagger with a first down throw and then take a knee, take a knee, and go home. You've got to play within the limitations of what you have, so I put it on the play caller.
2: Yeah, you know, and he does have four fumbles, and the last five games, and he cringed at when he was asked the question, do you have a fumble problem? And he said he doesn't, but it's obvious he does. It's obvious he holds on to the ball too long sometimes. And and that, to me, is a case where you can't trust your quarterback. And even if you run the ball and force Detroit to call its last time out and punt, I think you're better off than doing what they chose To do, obviously, and it's easy to sit here and second guess when it doesn't work, but I don't know, even if that's a day one training camp play and you've run it a million times, I'm still not trusting Mitchell Trubisky to run that play. And you mentioned he doesn't have Patrick Mahomes, but we all know they could have had Patrick Mahomes.
1: Matt Nagy did have Patrick Mahomes for a year. He did in Kansas City before he got the job. You can't blame The Patrick Mahomes failure to be a bear on Matt Nagy, but you can't blame it on Ryan Pace. That's why I hope they don't. And I'm not advocating at this point. I don't know what the hell they're going to do in Chicago. I think if they're going to make big changes at some point, they have to aim up at team president Ted Phillips, who's been there for 21 years making these hiring and firing decisions. But You know, I I think the worst thing they could do is fire Ryan Pace and keep Matt Nagy and then bring in a GM that maybe doesn't want Matt Nagy and then you've got dysfunction until you fire Matt Nagy. That's not good for anybody. So good luck to the Bears figuring out what's right for them. The Broncos trying to figure out what's right for them on Sunday night. You know, they. hey, the thing about the Chiefs, Because they face the absolute best that every opponent has to offer. For every team that plays them, it's the Super Bowl. It's the moment. It's the opportunity to have a measuring stick type of a game. The Chiefs have to be up every week, and we see it. They're not up every week. So you can catch them napping from time to time. The Broncos had some chances, they made some bad decisions. The first one came late in the first half 57 yard field goal by Brandon McManus, a reliable kicker in Denver. The altitude, different in Kansas City. And the thing about a 57-yarder, it's one thing to try it with two ticks on the clock. It's another thing to try a 57-yarder with 33 seconds left in the half, and you're giving the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. So McManus misses. The Chiefs get the ball on their 47. And the next thing you know, a 10-3 margin becomes 10-6. No, 10-9. It was 10-6. It becomes 10-9. It's got a different feel going into halftime, all because they got a little greedy, maybe a little stupid in – Going for the field goal with that much time left on the clock, Shereen?
2: I almost would have preferred that they had gone for it there. I'm not going to lie. I didn't have a huge problem with the field goal just because you trust Brandon McManus so much. But you're right. You don't have the altitude that you have in Denver. I know it was fourth and eight, but if you don't get it, at least you're on the 39. I know it's not that much of a difference, but if you do get it, then it sets you up for a field goal at least and maybe a touchdown and you're going to run out the clock. And you're not going to give Kansas City the ball back. Hopefully you can run off that last 33 seconds. So I almost would have preferred that they had gone for it there. And Mike, I I think there is a difference when you're a non-playoff team and you're not really in the playoff race, even though mathematically maybe you're still in it. But I do think there's a difference when you're that team and trying to build toward 2021 and when you're a team trying to play for the postseason. And this to me was a team that needed to take some chances and go for it, and they didn't do that. They they made, to me, two really bad coaching decisions.
1: Yeah, and the decision that ended up being the, the, the worst one. And Vic Fangio seemed to acknowledge after the game that maybe he shouldn't have done it. Today he doubled down on the decision he made. Down by three points, 19-16, six minutes and 13 seconds remaining in the game, facing fourth and three on their own forty nine. They opted not to go for it. They opted to punt. And when you say, look, throw aside analytics. And, and, and this isn't meant to disrespect the analytics crowd. For me, there's one factor that rises above all others when it comes to analytics. Are you keeping Patrick Mahomes on the sideline? Yes or no? OK, if you go for it <laughs> yeah. and you get it, yes, he's on the sidelines. If you punt it, he's on the field. And we've all seen that Patrick Mahomes is a different guy when the game's on the line, when it's time to to go do it. You know, we all have that moment. There are different times in our lives, whether it's at work or if there's a personal issue. We, we accept now's the time to go take care of business. And I think the Chiefs are that team more than any other in the NFL that I can remember in years, where they'll just kind of coast, they'll just kind of coast, and it's like, okay, it's time to take care of business. you gotta, you got to understand that as a football coach. So... Uh, well, well, we got to make a stop. Oh, yeah, you got to make a stop, but it's the Chiefs. It'd be different if it was the Chargers or if it was the Jets or if it was some other team. And I know these analytics formulas, Shireen, are getting more complex and they take those things into account, but I, I have no faith in any analytics formula that dictates that you should give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes in a spot where he's likely to, along with his teammates, know it's time to go to work.
2: Yeah, Mike, two things on this. One, I'm wondering how much Vic Fangio being a defensive-minded coach played into this. I would think that a more offensive-minded coach would have wanted the ball in the hands of his offense rather than it, uh, putting it on his defense to stop Patrick Mahomes. And so I do wonder if if Vic Fangio being a defensive-minded coach, that played into this thinking. But the second thing is, I think it would have done a lot for Drew Locke. Even if they don't make it, if you go to Drew Locke, whether you call timeout or whatever, but you say, look, we're going to trust you to pick up this this first down. We're going to put the ball in your hands. We're putting it on you to win this game. And you know what? If they had made that and gone on to have won this game, that could have really been a turning point for Drew Locke and this team. But they didn't, and they didn't give him that chance. And now you have to wonder, does Drew Locke second guess himself saying, well, they don't trust me enough in that situation to put the ball in my hands? So you had an opportunity there to do something for Drew Locke, and I think you failed Drew Locke by not giving him a chance. Again, you're a four-win team. Go for it. Do what you have to do to try to win the game and give your team some momentum going into 2021
1: yeah you need your young quarterback to develop some confidence that's an opportunity if it works for him to get a lift and maybe become the quarterback he was drafted to be all right we're going to take a break when we return we got some mailbag questions and uh we'll give you a little update on the washington pittsburgh game because apparently it's not nationally televised i didn't realize that we'll be right back Let's answer some questions. Core Job has one. What potential playoff team do you have the most concerns about? Shireen, I'll let you go first.
2: Well, there's a couple in there, I think. But, Mike, I'm going to go with Seattle Seahawks because this is a team we were talking about a few weeks ago. Russell Wilson's going to win the MVP award, and this team looks like the best team in the NFC. They don't look like that anymore, and I said all along, even before this debacle that they've had over the last few weeks, that you're not going to win a Super Bowl with a 32nd ranked defense and now they're 31st and I don't think you're going to win a Super Bowl with a 31st ranked defense and now Russ uh, looks human you know let Russ cook has turned into let Russ burn your dinner because that has not gone well (laughs) over the last (laughs) few games
1: (laughs) Uh, and I agree with you and there are several teams about which to be concerned look I think that the, the cream is rising as we get closer to the end of the season the Buccaneers out of sight out of mind this week. I worry about them. Are they going to resolve this strange power struggle between Tom Brady and Bruce Arians? What's the offense going to look like when they play the Vikings this week? And, you know, the Vikings have been playing these strange close games and playing down to the level of inferior opposition. They lost to the Cowboys a couple of weeks ago. They really haven't had an impressive win since upsetting the Packers at Lambeau Field. If the Buccaneers don't have their act together, they could find themselves in trouble. We already are very concerned about the Cardinals, who have fallen out currently of the seven spots in the NFC. There are a lot of imperfect teams. And look, December is when you either step up or you step off. And the teams that have momentum now are the teams that are most likely to win when we get to January. And I say this all the time around Thanksgiving every year. There's a team that's you know, around 5-5 five five or 6-6, six and, six, and they figure it out, and they carry that into January. They become very dangerous. Constrictor 14, what's more likely, the Lions make the playoffs or the Steelers go 16-0? and 0? The Steelers, by the way, have just scored their first points of the game, a touchdown. What's more likely to you, Shereen?
2: Well, I don't know that either is very likely. When you look at the Lions' schedule, I don't see a, a lot of wins left on there, even with the Darrell Bevel bump that they got yesterday and probably will get maybe another time or two uh, this season. But I... I don't think the Steelers are going undefeated either. I guess I'm going to go with the Lions to make the playoffs because they they are right there. What are they one game out at this point? So I'm going to go with the Lions, although I don't give them a great chance to do that. But I do think the Steelers are going to lose a game. I mean, they've got a tough game. What is it next week with uh, with the Bills? And then they have versus Indy, who I think is going to be very tough, and then at Cleveland. So those are three really hard games, and I think they lose one of those games.
1: Yeah, I agree with you uh, that it's not likely that the Steelers go undefeated, but I still think it's more likely they go undefeated than the Lions make to the playoffs. I just don't see it happening. All right, quick preview, 49ers, Bills tonight, ESPN, 8.15 p.m. Eastern. I think the 49ers are going to win this game. I do. Yeah. I've got faith in what they've done under Kyle Shanahan and this adversity of going to Arizona. I think that makes them closer. I think that makes them more determined. Look, the Bills are still a great team. But this 49ers team, even without Jimmy Garoppolo, they've got enough key players back. They can be a problem, and they can run the ball, and the Bills have had trouble this year stopping the run, Shereen.
2: Hey, I'm with you, Mike. I do think the 49ers win this game. I'm just curious to see if it's going to be on a Hail Mary. I guess it won't be a Hail Murray, but it could be a Hail Mary. They've given up two of them in their last two games. Can they stop the Hail Mary? Is that what it's going to come down to? They're back at the site where they gave up the one to Kyler Murray and the Cardinals.
1: Hale mullins i guess would be the play tonight if it happens for go. the 49ers by the way the steelers touchdown off the board it's still scoreless in pittsburgh there's no reason to watch it if you're not watching it live stick around and watch the safety <laughs> blitz and you can watch us every weekday on pft pm we'll be back tomorrow of course tuesday morning pft live full breakdown of both of the games tonight and we'll get you ready for shireen's cowboys tomorrow night taking on Des bryant and the baltimore Ravens. so plenty of football this week Thanks for some of your time. Everybody have a great day. We'll see you back here again tomorrow.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well.